the Lord. Great, uh, great worship this morning. Um, I love, I love how God puts those songs together because Aaron prepares that weeks and weeks in advance. He's, he's prepared up on what we're going to sing, and just to see what God puts together for what we're going through, and it's just, it's week after week. I'm amazed how that lines up. How teaching and in John's class and Raymond's class lines up with often what's going on in here. Well, this morning I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16. Turn to Luke chapter 16. I hope you've got your notes there, um, your outline. If nothing else, it'll give you an idea of how long we're going to be here as I get to going. Okay, you'll have an idea. So, you, you, you know, you can work through it that way. But a strange title this morning, you're going to think. But you've got to read it as with, with the exclamations in here or it sounds like I'm cussing. All right. So here's the title, Hail, All right, let me try it again, Hail, that's a question, yes, that's the answer, okay, that's the title of the, mor- the, the message this morning, is Hail, yes, so we, we've been in a series for the last three weeks, you're going back, titled, it was Wanted, and we may, we may yet get into that a little more and look more at this wanted thing, so we had our troublemakers wanted, and that was really looking at how this small group of, of Paul and some others who had turned the world upside down. God, God will take nobodies. In fact, he can take anybody and can make a difference. He can make a difference in, in the kingdom. I think we had Brent as the, the, uh, I, our, our logo for troublemakers wanted. Then we had maniacal missionaries wanted. And uh, we looked at the, the, the maniac of Gadara and how God went in there and cast out those demons and saved him and the change that was instant with salvation, how that man changed and how he was then sent out. God sent him. Christ didn't say, you know, he said, I want to go with you, Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, well, come on, jump in the boat. He said, no, 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 you go back to your home. And then you go tell all those in this area, you tell them all what great things God has done for you. And so he did. He went back. And so what you had is a, a, the maniac of Gadara became a maniacal uh, a, a missionary. He became a witness for Christ in a maniacal way. And, and the rest of the story of that was he went and he sowed those seed. And when Christ returned again, there was a great move of God that happened in that area. And, I, and, and you really have to look at that and believe that the ministry of that maniac going and sharing Christ with those people, they were ready to receive Jesus when he came. And then last week we looked at the gospel goons, and we really looked at the gospel, went through what the gospel is, but we looked at the life of Paul and how Paul was, was a goon. He was an enforcer. He was, a, you know, he was, he was like a mob hit guy for, for the religious leaders of that day. And when Paul got saved, he became a, a gospel goon. He became a hit man for the Lord, and he went out, and it was to, to give the gospel anywhere and everywhere. And so what we learned from that is even the most hardened enemy of God can become a great warrior for God. And so really the last three weeks we've looked at this from different perspectives of different people, the fact that anybody can be saved. You know, we we launched this off talking about our community. Do we want to impact our community? Do we we want to make a change in Geneva? Do we want to see things different in our country? Well, it's not going to happen through politics, folks. You can bring Trump back and put him in office. We can have both House and Senate. We can control it all. And you still got a bunch of lost goons up there running our country. It ain't going to change our country regardless of which political power. It may sway it a little bit here and there. But the only hope for our nation is a spiritual revival. And so how do we make a difference? We go out of here and we share the gospel and we pray that folks receive the gospel and that the Holy Spirit of God changes them. That's our only hope. We're not going to win them to Christ through politics. 
And through politics, we're not going to turn this country around. It will only be through the power of God. And so the idea of all of this is, folks, we need to be sharing the gospel. We need to be busy about sharing the gospel. So the subject of today's sermon is we, we've kind of built on that. Now, today the idea is to really help us to understand the reality of hell. I think we as Christians get our eyes off of that. We're as bad as the lost world. We're as bad as those out there who, who we might acknowledge hell is real, but we, we don't embrace I mean, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. But we should think about it. We should really dwell on it to the fact that folks who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to die and go to a real hell. And it's not a temporary thing that can easily be prayed out of or bought out of. It's an eternal thing. And so we're going to look at this subject today. And and it's something that I'm sure everybody here, at least I hope everybody here, believes that. Many churches today have stopped preaching on sin and hell. And, 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 you know, they do that because they want to attract more people and they don't want to offend someone. Uh, It's this idea of of being seeker-friendly. You know, we want to create church that lost people would, would, they would be okay with. Folks, if, if lost people are okay with it, it ain't making an impact on them. It is making no change in their life. Uh, they don't want to offend someone. Folks, the gospel offends. If you preach the gospel, it offends. You don't have to be offensive with the gospel. You don't have to be offensive as you go out and share the gospel. We shouldn't be offensive as we go out and confront people with the gospel. We've got this idea of confront, that confrontation being such a negative thing. It's not. Confrontation is just actually having a conversation. And it's not a negative thing. And we don't have to offend someone in in, in how we say it. It's going to offend them enough what we say when we give them the truth. It's going to be offensive. That's the gospel. So when we go to watering it down, we've changed the gospel. We've changed those truths. And we're not going to do that here. Look, the the early church turned the world upside down uh, for Christ. And yet the church today can't even turn itself upside down. The church in America is a mess. Christianity in America is a mess. We have become so interwoven with everything from the world. We've embraced the world and brought it right into the church. And, that's, and then, then we wonder why there's no power in the church. It's because we've embraced all the things of the world and brought it in and try to make it suit us. People that today, uh, and with that in mind, people today have a messed up interpretation of hell. What is hell? What is it like? So in a national, there was a national poll conducted. I'm going to go back a little bit, a little ways back. 1986, that's the year I graduated high school. 1986, USA Today did a poll. 67% of American adults said they believe in hell. 67%. Less than 25% believed that they would go there, but there was 25% believed that their friends would be there. So I'm not going, but my friends will be, you know. That's, tw- that's tw- 1986. In 2014, Pew, Pew Research sur- sh- uh, Survey found this. In the belief in, in hell and heaven, that Americans overall, 72% believe in heaven, 58% believe in hell. That's Americans across the board. So that means from 1986 to 2014, 
There was a drop from 67% of Americans believing in hell to 58% believing in hell. So there's a decline in people actually believing in hell. Now, there is a little hope because the evangelicals, as a part of that survey, the evangelical professing evangelical Christians, 88% believe in heaven and 82% believe in hell. Now, this amazes me. When you read that, you go, well, that's a high number. And I go, that's a crazy number. These are professing evangelical Christians. That means 12% of them don't even believe in heaven. That's the professing part. Okay? Just because I profess to be a Christian doesn't mean that I am. Amen? And, uh, and that means 18% of professing evangelical Christians don't believe in hell. And, and it tells you there's a messed up, there's a messed up and a neglect of the Word of God. Either they're not embracing the Word of God, they may not even be opening the Word of God. But if you read the Word of God as a believer, there's no other conclusion you can come to but that heaven is real and hell is real. And you know, the scriptures speak a whole lot more about hell than heaven. does here's an interesting in that same survey in 2014 of the atheists that were interviewed five percent believe in heaven three percent believe in hell you're an atheist they don't even know what they believe so but apparently we don't either but here's what we understand. If hell's not real, if many don't believe it's real, if hell's not real and everyone's going to get to heaven eventually, we, we might as well close the doors to the church and go home. I mean, we're wasting our time. Why are we here? But I believe in hell. I believe it's real. I believe it's hot. I believe it's eternal. I believe it's awful. And it's awaiting all who do not receive the free gift of salvation offered by God's grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. So I will preach and I will teach on the subject of hell. Now, I like the story that's told of a chaplain who reported to a, a new duty station during the Vietnam War. And upon his arrival, some of the men came to see him and they asked him a simple question. They said, do you believe in a literal hell? And he said, he said, uh, he said I have to admit that uh, I do not believe in a literal hell. And so the men asked him to resign. And so he asked them, why? Why would you have me resign? Because I don't believe in literal hell. And this was their response to him. They said, if there is no hell, then we don't need you. And if there is a hell, we don't want you leading us astray. That's pretty good. That's the truth of it right there. I assure you, the devil believes in a real hell. You may not believe in hell this morning. You may think that it's just a state of mind. But as the old revival preacher said to the skeptic, you, might, uh, you not believing in hell don't lower the temperature there one degree. You don't, you don't, uh, you know, we don't like to think about the reality of hell, and we often hear this statement. We hear people say, you know, I don't believe that a good God will send anyone to hell. And that's what we say. And this statement is based on error. It's based on ignorance. Uh, there's absolute ignorance of the scripture with that. But you know, we never make the statement, how could a good judge sentence a mass murderer to death for his crimes? You never hear anybody question that. We don't, we don't say that because the judge is not responsible for the man being sentenced to death. His own actions are. And, and the other thing is, most people go, well, that's okay if they sentence him to life because I'm not a mass murderer. But the fact is, we're all sinners. Amen. 
and folks who are sinners and don't want to acknowledge that sin and confess that sin and put themselves under the authority of a God want to deny that he would do that. They want to deny. And, and, and you can deny it if you want to. You can deny truth all you want to. It does not change the truth and it does not change the outcome. You know, Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 11, verse 22, said, consider the goodness and severity of God. God is a just God. The parable that Jesus tells in our text today, I believe, is about real people. When we look at this story here, and, and you, you're all familiar with this. You've heard it, probably heard it taught before. But when you look at the, the rich man and Lazarus, the story there, this is a parable. The Lord is using this to teach. But it's not a parable in the sense where he goes, well, the, the kingdom of heaven or the, the realm of hell is likened to the... He doesn't say that. As the Lord speaks here, he's talking about real people. This is, I believe with all my heart, this is an actual event that took place. This is actual things that goes on. Uh, he names two people. He, he names Lazarus here and he names Abraham here. And he doesn't say hell is like unto. Uh, he is describing a real situation with real people and one of which is in a real hell. That's what we find in the story so as we begin this. So we're going we're gonna to work through verses 19 through 21. And uh, let's start here. Number one, uh, their contrast. As we look at these two men, their contrast before death. Verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. This man was living it up. He had a great life. He's a rich man and he's living that way. He's wearing nice clothes. But there was a certain beggar. See, he doesn't say he doesn't say he's like. The Lord says here there was a certain beggar. There is a man named Lazarus. This is a real situation. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. Verse 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell, which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So the rich man is dressed in purple and fine linens, and that's the that's the, the first century equivalent of designer suits. I mean, that's a, that's a $1,500 suit today. That's a $2,000 suit. I mean, he's wearing the nicest clothes. He's got the nicest mansion. It's, it's what we see in Hollywood and the athletes when they've got a 31,000 square foot home with eight swimming pools and 31 bedrooms and all that kind of stuff. It's ridiculous. And that's, and that's what this guy, he's, he's wealthy. He's living, in, he's living it up. There's nothing about this man's life on earth that indicated the terrible future that awaited him. Now, at the gate there was laid a beggar named Lazarus. And Lazarus, uh, it's interesting that Lazarus is named. We, we don't just hear the rich man and the poor man. We have a rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus is named, but not the rich man. Never do we get the rich man's name. Now, so Scripture speaks of the wicked. If you go back and you read in the Old Testament, you'll find times where it, in, in, in Proverbs, it'll talk about the wicked. Are, they're gone. People went looking for them, and they could not find them. They disappeared. You can't find them at all. So I think there's, there's something to that right here. This man, while everyone would have known his name in the community, when God remembers him in Scripture, he doesn't even call his name. He's not remembered. Lazarus, we find, he's covered with sores, and he longed to eat whatever fell from the rich man's table. The beggar's body is covered with sores and ulcers rather than fine clothes. Dogs came and licked his sores. And, and understand that these dogs, they were unclean animals. So that in itself, for a dog to come and lick on this Jew, that was a humbling, disgraceful thing. But these dogs that licked his sores, you know, they weren't the neighbor's labradoodle. That, that's not what this was. We've got one, I've told you. He walks around, he's, he's brain dead. 
The dog is just a walk. He's like a, just a walking mass of sails. He has no emotion. I've never heard him bark. He, he just, if they say walk, and he walks. And he just, um, it's not that. It's not this, this, this pretty little dog coming up and licking. This was, these are street dogs. These are wild dogs. They're looking for something to eat. And they're coming up and they're licking. This is gross. When you see this, this man has sores all over his body and ulcers. And they're coming up and licking those sores. This is the state that we find Lazarus in. He's poor. He's sickly. He's got all this stuff going on. And he's begging for bread. And the, the bread that he longed to eat was the bread that was discarded from the rich man or just stuff that he was going to throw out. So Lazarus is really just asking for dog food. I mean, they're going to throw food out to the dog. Lazarus is there hoping to get something that they're throwing out to the dogs. You see the difference in these two men's lives. And aside from the pain and possible affection that this would cause, they were, there was a disgrace to a Jew, as I mentioned, because these dogs were unclean animals. The rich man could, could have easily helped Lazarus. Easily. He's got a beggar at his gate. Every day it sounds like he's there just wanting something to eat. And the rich man pays him no attention. He gives him no help. He does, it doesn't even sound like he regularly offers him scraps from the table. He's just hoping he'll get something. But he could have helped. But no, the rich man is just living life. He's enjoying his ease and comfort and riches. Now, I'm not saying this to be ugly, but do you realize that we're, we are in the top, we're in the top like 3% of people in the world? The poorest person in this room is, is, is among the wealthiest of people in the world. So when we read this story, we can't really put ourselves in, in, in Lazarus's situation in, in the physical realm because we're more like, we're more like the rich man. I mean, we've got all the means. We've got all the stuff. Life was uncomfortable for Lazarus, and he no doubt uh, was suffering. But life was very comfortable for the rich man, and he no doubt felt secure. A lot of people feel secure. A lot of people, they got enough money, they're going to they're retire well. Brent, you probably have some that are lost as a ball in high grass, but they think they're good. They're secure because they got a big nest egg set away. And, and, it, and it's a shame how many people uh, never get to enjoy their nest egg. That doesn't, you can't buy yourself, you can't buy life. You can't buy it. It doesn't matter those things. So those things don't matter. So that's a contrast before. Number two, they're contrast after death. Look at after death, verse 22 and 23. Then uh, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and he was buried. And being in torments in Hades, and I, 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 read, I almost read it this way, he woke up in hell. You know, he, he died, but... He instantly woke up. He went from, from, from death to life. And we went right from life to life. It's, we, we don't die and it's over. You know, he, he died and he went into eternal life. But where he woke up, he found himself right there in Hades, in hell. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So A there is death changed everything. At the moment they died, when Lazarus died, his body was probably carted away to the city dump and burned with the trash. Here's a, at that time, that's exactly what, I, what would happen. Today, in, uh, I believe it's in Brazil, there are, there are, every morning they go around and pick up dead bodies on the streets in, in the huge, huge cities. Buenos Aires, I guess. And that's Argentina. What would be in Brazil? Sao, Sao Paulo? 
Rio. There's some of those big cities in Brazil, and they, they talked a lot about this leading up to the Olympics and things that were going down in that area of the world. But, but it's, it's, it's atrocious in some of these big cities, what's going on. And so when somebody dies, they just go around and they pick them up and they haul them off and dump them. That's what happens. And that's what happened here. We see Lazarus died, and he's probably just carried off. His body is carried off to the dump. He's probably, his body is probably just burned. Nobody even cared that he died. Nobody knew. It doesn't, we don't know whether he had family or not. But it seems like maybe that would have been what happened. Is nothing is mentioned about he died. The rich man also died and was buried. It's interesting. That's all it says about the rich man. He died and was buried. Now, it says that, but we can only imagine. I mean, he's a rich man. So what's going to happen? They might have laid his body in state. He might have, he might have had funeral procession for, for days where people could come by and, and see him and pay their respects and pay their respects to the family and hope they were in the wheel or whatever. But the, 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 you can see the pomp and the circumstance that would go into that because he's a wealthy man. He was a very rich man. He was an important man in the community because of his wealth. They looked at him like he was a great man. And so they buried him, and, and it just says that he was buried. So he, you imagine he had this huge, stately funeral and all that goes in with that. But B, as both men died and passed through eternity's door, an amazing reversal occurred. Lazarus was carried away by angels into Abraham's bosom, into paradise. It just, you know, Lazarus dies. And and the moment he dies, the angels are there to carry him up into Abraham's bosom. You know, we we understand, we know today, if if a believer dies, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's instant. You know, we don't, we don't die and say in the soul sleep until the Lord comes back. When, we, when the moment we die, we leave this, and I've said it like this. We take our last breath here. We take our first breath there. We're going to draw that breath. We're right there. The Lord's going to take us. He takes us by the hand. He's been through the valley of the shadow of death. He'll take us by the hand. He's going to walk us right through the valley of the shadow of death because he knows the way. He's going to take us through, and boom, we're right there with the Lord. We are in the presence of the Lord, and that's what happened with Lazarus. He dies, and he's carried by the the angels into Abraham's bosom, into paradise. The rich man did not get carried into eternity by angels, but rather he found himself in hell where he was in torment. He wakes up. Can you imagine the shock? I mean, this is, again, I think it's one breath to the next, and he wakes up and he's in torment. And he's trying to figure this out. He's trying to, whoa, whoa, where am I? What is this? And the realities are hitting him of where he's at because he probably was not ignorant of hell. He was probably not ignorant of an afterlife. And we'll talk more about that. But he's trying to figure out what is going on. And the instant he's there, he's in torment. It wasn't an adjustment period. There was no videos to watch. We didn't introduce him into it slowly. You got to watch these safety videos. No, he wakes up and he's in hell and he's in torment. See. The revelation of where each man ended up after death would have astonished Jesus' audience and shattered their long-held assumptions about wealth being a sign of God's favor and blessing. There's a lot of confusion. We have this today. And I think I've got this in my notes later, but I'm going to hit this here. We got the prosperity gospel. We got name it and claim it. We got all this stuff today that is so twisting scripture. It is lies out of the pit of hell. You got guys that are driving their fancy cars and they go over and they, and they witness to the, the masses in, in foreign countries and telling them, if you'll follow Jesus, you can have that BMW. You just come to faith in him. And, and, and it's the whole faith thing. If you got enough faith, you, you, you know... Joel Osteen, they believe that. Some folks don't like that I name names. I don't have a problem calling out heresy and heretics. 
You know, it's all about this faith. Have your best life now. How about follow Jesus with all your heart? You'll have your best life now. It ain't about the fancy car and the airplanes and the, ho- the, the, the fancy mansions and, and all that stuff and writing your books and smiling big. It's not about that. It's about following Jesus. But I would ask this. Why do those folks die? Do they not have enough faith? Because that's what they preach. If you have enough faith, brother, Jan, you wouldn't have had that cancer on your shoulder. You didn't have enough faith. It's just lies. It's perverting the gospel. A lot of people were shocked when they hear when he, Jesus is telling this story. And they would equate the blessing that this man had with God's hand on his life. And Jesus is telling the story and said, look, the rich man woke up in hell. He's got their attention. And there's a lot of confusion. I already mentioned this. But, but, but we know, you know, in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, talking about that to be absent from the body, you know, that's what Paul says here. He says, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So we know that, that when we die, when we leave this body, death, what is death? James 2, 26 says, for as the body without the spirit is dead. The body without the spirit is dead. Death is when the spirit leaves the body. It's when our soul and our spirit leave and our body is left. This is a tent, people. This is it. And the Lord's going to glorify this one day, and I probably won't have a beard then because I won't have the face I have now. I have a glorified face. Amen? I won't have to wear a beard. Y'all get what I'm saying, right? Jacket covers the ugly, the beard's covering the ugly. So it's, it's that kind of thing. But look, one day, one day, unless the Lord comes back, I'm going to be here or somewhere in a casket, and my tent is going to be laying in that. That's all that's in there is my tent, my earth suit. I'm going to leave that behind because I'm going to be with the Lord. So when that day comes, I've told Gina she has to at least weep at the funeral. A little bit. A little bit. she got to grieve a little bit at the funeral, but I want her to move on. I don't want y'all to, I, want, I wouldn't want y'all to like, I want you to celebrate. I want you to celebrate my life because I'm telling you, I know where I'm going. I have been born again. My faith is in Christ and Him alone. I'm trusting Him. And He has saved my soul. And I know when that day comes, the tent may go in the ground, but my soul's going to be with the Lord. They didn't understand that. They're a little shocked at this. See, death in the end is just the beginning of a whole new existence. I've said it in funerals before that death is the key that unlocks the door of eternity. It's, I mean, we've got to go through that door, and death is the key that gets us there. So, man, I don't want to die, but, man, if dying gets me to Jesus, okay, let's go. I'm ready. I'm ready. Number three. Now, let's look at, we're really going to get in now looking at hell and what Jesus has to say about it. So we're going to look at these misconceptions about hell. Number three, verse 24 uh, through 31. I'm going to go through these kind of one at a time. First, there's the question of this. Because I want you to understand when we read this story, when you first read that story, it sounds like the rich man went to hell because he's rich. When you first start reading that. And Lazarus is a poor man and he goes to heaven. So there's, there, there's some that would, that would tell you that. Well, Lazarus, uh, you know, he's in heaven because he was poor and he was denied things. And the rich man is in hell because he was, you know, he wasn't generous with his funds. Let me just tell you this. 
The rich man's not in hell because he wasn't generous with his funds. He may not have been generous with his funds, but it wasn't because it would be because he was a lost man. He wasn't if he was not generous. That would be the cause. But he wasn't in hell because he was a rich man. That had nothing to do with it. We know that his riches didn't send him to hell because we know that salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Amen. That's the only way to heaven. So there is no other way to heaven and no other reason for going to hell than the rejection of that truth right there. You know, people say, well, that sin right there, they go to heaven because of that sin or, or hell because of that sin or hell because of that sin. No, you go to hell because you reject the free gift of eternal life that, that has been offered to us. It has been offered. We go to hell for rejecting that. And you go to heaven only for receiving that. That's it. So the rich man's not in hell because he was rich. The rich man's in hell because he did not follow Christ. He was not a, a man of faith. He did not trust in the Lord and put his faith in the Lord. So some people have this an, an image of hell that's not based on reality. And if you talk to folks, you're going to hear that because people have some strange beliefs about hell. You know, some hold to very strange things and some even believe that hell's going to be a party. I'd be a party down there. All my brothers would be there. My buddies would be there. We'll just, you know, we're going to drink beer and have a, have a good time. That's what hell's going to be. It should be awesome. I can't wait to go. Look, when you understand really what hell's about, you won't be so flippant about hell. Mark Twain said this. He said, I'll take heaven for the climate and hell for the society. He totally did not understand hell. Ted Turner once said, I'm looking forward to dying and going to hell because I know that's where I'm headed. You won't be flippant if you understand what hell is and what it's about. People, people would change their attitude. And so through the experience of these two men, Jesus gives us a glimpse into hell. And uh, it's a brief but powerful enough image right here to blow apart many of man's misconceptions about hell. Misconception number one, um, to, to, to state the truth of it, hell is physical. Hell is physical. Some would say that hell is it's just a state of mind or it's just a, a spiritual thing and you aren't in a physical body. There's not really that. But hell is physical. Look at verse 23. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He's in Hades. He's in hell. Jesus said he's in hell. He names a place. It, he was in a real place. It is a specific place. He lifted his eyes and saw what he saw was real. This wasn't a figment of his imagination. It is a real place. He saw it. He felt it. I'm sure he could smell it. And, and, and surely he even heard things that were going on in hell. It's just physical. It's real. It's going on around him. It exists. It is a place, not a concept. In verse 28, he didn't, he didn't want his brothers to come. It says to this place. Hell is a real place. C.S. Lewis was told about a gravestone inscription that read, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and nowhere to go. And Lewis replied, I bet he wishes that were so. Because you can believe there's no hell, but it doesn't change the fact that there is a hell. And if we don't have a personal relationship with Christ, when we die, the only thing waiting us is hell. For all of eternity. It is real. Hell is a real place of conscious anguish. This man was, wasn't dreaming and his hell wasn't on earth. 
You hear people say that. Well, hell is here on earth. We're already in hell. Well, life may feel a little bit that way sometimes, but I assure you this is not hell. It gets much, much worse. This is not the only place in the Bible that describes hell. Matthew 25, 30, Jesus described hell as a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Mark 9, 48, speaking of hell fire, it says hell fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The book of Revelation describes it as a lake of fire. He looked, and you even see this as, as, as the rich man there, he looked and he saw Abraham and Lazarus afar off. He saw them. Physical, real. They were there. They were on the uh, across that great gulf there. They were there. Hell is a physical place. Number two, hell is terrible. Verse 24 says, Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this, fl in this flame. Now, he's in agony. The rich man woke up in hell and he's in agony. He's crying out for mercy. He's begging for even a drop of water to, to cool his, thumb, his tongue. Think about that. He, he is in torments in the flames. He is, it is so bad that he's like, Father Abraham, have, send Lazarus. Have him dip his finger in water and just a drop on my tongue. That's the level of anguish that he's in. He's thinking even a drop of water on my tongue would be a relief. This doesn't sound like a party place to me. He said, for I am tormented. That's not a fun word. Four minutes, I am tormented in this flame. He is absolutely in torment as he's, as he's in the flame there. Let me ask you this. How many of you, raise your hand if you've ever been burned. Sometimes you've been burned in some way. How many of you just loved that? I mean, if, if, uh, you, you pull something out of the oven and hit your wrist on a pan or something in the oven or you're reaching in and you hit the, the grate there or you're grabbing a pan out or something, you hit it. Jesse's all the time. He's got burns on him from Chick-fil-A where he's, he's doing something. And he'll come home and he goes, hey, Dad, look. And he's done, laid his arm on something. But you, you, you get burned. I had one when I was a kid. These things pop in my head. So as, as a kid, we had a, anybody ever had a burn barrel? It's Geneva. Everybody had a burn barrel, right? So we grew, I did grow up in the country. I'm like Geneva. I'm a transplant, but I'm, I grew up like that. So we had a burn barrel. We'd take our trash down there every day and burn it. Well, I'm, I'm no seven, eight, nine years old. I like playing in the trash, burning the trash. Anybody like burn, playing the trash when it burned? Anybody? Come on, be honest. Come on. So you like to play in it. So you get a stick and you're messing around. I always love to watch as a milk jug. You know, the fire's burning, the milk jug is it would it swell until it popped. And then it would... You know what I'm talking about. Y'all know because y'all going, yeah, I remember that. And the stink from it and stuff. But I'd mess with it and I'd start picking it up with a stick. Well, one time I flicked it. I'm messing with it. And I flicked it and a piece of that plastic that was melted landed right here. I still got a scar right there. It landed right there. And it don't come off easy. When it comes off, it usually takes some skin with it. I'll never forget that. Man, that hurt. That's the flame. That's the torment. Now, this man's in a flame. He, 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 he's... He, he, He's in a flame. He's in this fire that's raging. He's here in hell. He's being burned but not consumed. You know, I, of all the ways of dying, my fear, and I don't fear, I don't sit around and think about it, but I don't want to burn to death. People go, I don't want to drown. I'll take drowning a hundred times to zero over burning. The one hope of burning is that you die quick. That would be the one hope. What agony. 
What agony is, is involved with that? He is, but here's the thing. He has no hope that it's going to quench. He has no hope that it's going to end. He has no hope that it's going to decrease. He has no hope that it's going to get better. It's going to continue. He is being burned. He is being burned and he's physically there in the fire. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through the fire and it did not touch them. He is being touched by every flame. He's feeling everything and it's not going to get any better. The word torment is used in this passage four times to describe the conditions in hell. It's torment. Every description of hell in the scriptures is one of suffering, torment, and agony. And I can tell, you know, it's not comfortable as we even talk about this. And I, as I look out, I can see y'all aren't real comfortable with this. I'm telling you, there's churches right now that if I were to stand and preach this in, in them... Folks will get up and leave because they don't want to face the truth of hell. Number three, hell is mental. Look at verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. Abraham says, Son, remember. Hell's mental. So he remembered everything. He remembered loving his stuff more than loving God. He remembered hearing the scriptures and rejecting its teachings. He remembered those that reached out to him and tried to tell him about God. He remembered everything. Every song, every book, every word, every conversation, every opportunity that he had in his life, he remembered. And I have to imagine as he looks over at Lazarus, and Abraham just mentioned Lazarus. He's got to be thinking, look, Lazarus is over there. What if I had just reached out to Lazarus? What if I had given him some food? What if I'd have had a conversation? He's there. What if I'd have if done something? Maybe he could have told me about this, and I wouldn't be here. He remembered every word, every act, every thought, every opportunity. Folks, he remembered. Hell is mental. Hell is also eternal. Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from, from there pass to us. There's this great gulf fixed. There's a great divide. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, I mean, you can't get across the Grand Canyon. I mean, you can hike down and swim across the river, I guess, and hike up the other side. But from standing on one side of it to the other side, if, I, if Gina's on the other side, short of all that other, to get across, I can't jump it. There, there's, there, it, it it's, it's not, it, I can't do it. I can't get across there. There's no way. This is a gulf that's fixed that makes the Grand Canyon is, is simple. It's easy compared to this. There's this great gulf that cannot be bridged. And the gulf that could have been bridged while alive is now uncrossable. It's like movies you see where they blow up a bridge. And the only way across the big gulf there is this bridge. And they blow up the bridge. And so now there's no hope to get across. When we die, the bridge that would get us across that gulf is gone. It's no longer available. 
The gulf is is uncrossable because Scripture makes it clear that our time on this earth is the place of personal decision. One's eternal destiny is is determined by what they believe about Jesus while on earth. The only thing that matters in this life, folks, is what we believe about Jesus. That's it. It's the only thing that's going to matter in eternity is what did we do with Jesus in this life. There is no purgatory. There is no reincarnation. There's no chance for relief, no way out, no end, no second chance, and there's no end to come. And that, folks, is no joke. Hell is eternal. In hell, it's too late to pray. It's too late to change your mind, and it's too late to repent. Hell is a place utterly without hope and absolutely without hope. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. There is no second chance. There is no way to get out once I die. Number five, hell is judicial. Verse 27 through 31. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. So he's asking Abraham to send Lazarus from the dead to go to his father's house and speak to his father and his brothers. He says, For I have five brothers that that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. The prophets, let them hear them. So what are you saying? They have they have scripture. They have the Bible. Let them hear the Bible. And he says, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Well, he's just said they have the Bible. They have the Word of God. They have the truth they need to go. But no, he said, no, Father Abraham, if somebody goes from the dead, if a great miracle appears in their life, something just out of the norm, then they'll believe. But he said to him, if they, did not, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Hell is not a party, folks. It's a place of judicial punishment. And we don't see the rich man reveling in fellowship with his friends. He's very much alone right here. He didn't say, I'm glad my brothers will be joining me here. Well, we're going to have this grand old time together here in hell. In fact, the rich man expresses concern for his five brothers, and he asks that someone be sent back to warn them that, that their choices in this life have consequences in the next. And again, he says, and he said, no, Father, Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Look, here's, here's this, as I'm reading this, here's what occurs. He, he's really saying this. This isn't fair. If someone had come to me from the dead... I wouldn't be here because he says that, that his brothers would come, would come there, wouldn't come there. Um, that he knows they're going to come there when they die. But he says if somebody will go to them, if somebody from the dead will go to them, then they won't come here. And what he was saying in, in a roundabout way was somebody should have come to me. This wasn't fair. If somebody from the dead had come, but Abraham had said, if they won't believe the word of God, They're not going to believe even if someone rises from the dead. They're not going to believe some great miracle if they won't believe the Word of God. The Word of God is enough. And the rich man says, it's not enough. I needed a miracle. I needed someone from the dead to come and tell me so that I would listen. Many are like that today. 
Many are like that today. We have the Word of God. You can present the Word of God, but short of some, some Damascus Road experience, they will not believe. Truly, folks, if, if we can't believe the Word of God that the Holy Spirit of God uses in our hearts, we won't believe even if someone came back to us from the dead. Abraham confronts this, and, uh, and, and listen, God is just. He has given you everything you needed. He has given them, the brothers, everything that they needed to not go there. But, it, but if they will not believe the Word of God, then they will not believe anything. Abraham confronts this. So while these verses teach that God will not give people supernatural signs and wonders to get them to repent, this verse does teach that a person can avoid hell if they simply listen to God's word and repent. They have all the information they need. They just need to heed the information they have. Folks, that's where we're at today. We're overwhelmed in, in our lives today with information. But the information is there. The information that is needed for a person to come to faith in Christ is there. The gospel is there. Now, folks, it's on us to get it out. It's on us to get it out. It's not on us to work signs and wonders. And it ain't God's place to work signs and wonders to bring someone to faith. He has sent his son Jesus who did everything that needed to be done. He has given us the word of God that tells us everything. It reveals who we are. It reveals who he is. It reveals our sin issue, our hopelessness without Christ. It reveals our hope in Christ. It reveals the way that we come to faith in Christ. Everything is there. The word of God. We just have to simply heed it. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God has made every opportunity for mankind. He has spoken through his creation. He has spoken through the prophets. He has spoken through his word. And most of all, best of all, he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ, who came in flesh. He has done everything that we need. Then Hebrews, 12, uh, Hebrews 2, 3 tells us this. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which, is at the, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that, heed, uh, that heard him. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? This man found that when you neglect so great salvation, you wind up in hell. Folks, everybody that does not respond to this great salvation that is offered will go to hell. But here is the one great thing about hell. Number six, hell is avoidable. Hell is avoidable. The word of God holds the answer. John chapter 5 verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. The Word of God tells us that it's, it is by God's grace that we're saved. John chapter 11, Jesus tells us in verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he, uh, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You've got to understand, let's look at verse 26. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. And what he's saying there, 
I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, so anyone that has come to faith in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. You are alive. And, and you may be dead physically, but you're alive. And he says, and whoever liveth and believeth. So if you're alive today and you believeth, you trust in Christ, shall never die. Now, he's not talking the physical there. He's talking the spiritual. And I'm okay with dying physically. I don't want to die spiritually. Because of faith in Christ, I'm not concerned with that. One day, Vice President Calvin Coolidge was presiding presiding over the Senate, and one senator angrily told another one to go straight to hell. That's what he told him. He said, go straight to hell. And the offended senator complained to Coolidge, and Coolidge looked up from a book that he had been flipping through while he was listening to the debate and the argument, and he wittily replied, I've looked through the rule book. You don't have to go. Folks, that's the truth this morning. You don't have to go. I've looked through the book. The answer is there. All of us are sinners, and we're hopeless. Outside of Christ, we're hopeless. And so the, 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 the greatest thing this morning, the only thing that matters this morning is have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you have not, I can assure you, hell is real. And if you've not placed your faith in Christ, you think, I'll do that later. There may not be a later. You may not have an opportunity to, to seek out the Lord later. But good luck seeking out the Lord because the Lord has to seek you out and the Lord has to call you. He has to burden your heart. He has to convict you. Don't think you can just come to him whenever you want to. If the Lord presses on your heart that, man, I don't know you, Lord. I don't know you. I need to be saved. You need to respond to that. This morning, there is nothing more important for anyone in this room than where you're going to spend eternity. By faith in Christ, you spend eternity in in heaven with God Almighty. And by rejecting Christ, you spend all of eternity in a terrible, horrible, literal, real, physical, mental, eternal hell. And we're going to have an invitation in just a moment. I'll ask Aaron, you can come on and come. I, I preach the gospel every week because I never know who's here. I never know what's going on in someone's life. I, I, I will not assume that anybody in here, I will not assume that you're saved because I don't know. You have a profession. And we can have confidence in that profession, but I don't know. And so I'm going to preach the gospel in some way, shape, or form. Every week we're going to present the gospel. I'm going to challenge you if you've never trusted Christ to respond. There have been people who have been in church for 80 years and, and get saved because they've played church their whole life and finally they realize, I've been playing church. I've never been born again. So I preached this this morning to challenge us. The hell is real. And you go, are well, you just trying to scare people out of hell? Hell, yes. I'm trying to scare you out of hell. I don't want anybody to go. People go, oh, there's folks that deserve it. They may deserve it, but I deserve it. Hitler, I'm telling you, if Hitler could have gotten saved, I'm for it. He could have gotten saved. 
don't have any idea, no notion that he did. I don't want anybody to go to hell. And God didn't want anybody to go to hell. And he made a way. So this morning, if you've never trusted Christ, today's the day of salvation. But here's the more pressing thing for us as a church. I've been praying for our church to have a, a passion for souls. Folks, if we don't embrace this understanding of what hell is and that it is real and people all around us, family, friends, co-workers, the person you are beside in the Walmart checkout line, if they don't know Christ as their Savior, they're going to hell. And the reason a lot of these liberal Christians don't share their faith is they think there's other ways to get to heaven. Well, if they don't get here this way, they're, they're probably a good person. They may get there. Or maybe after they die, they'll have an opportunity to repent. Not true, not true, not true. There's one way, and it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we have to get a burden for the lost. We got to get a burden. When was the last time you prayed for your one? Do you even have a one? We ought to have ten that we're praying for, that we know need Christ. We ought to be praying for them and then praying for the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Well, I'm afraid they'll get mad at me. I promise you they're going to be more mad as they remember that you never shared the gospel with them when they're in hell. This is heavy this morning. But hell's not a light topic. It's real. And we've got to get this, we've got to get our minds wrapped around this and our hearts wrapped around this and, and, and get motivated and fired up about telling people about Jesus because He is their only hope. If we say we love people and we don't speak to them, what we're really saying is you can go to hell. And I don't think that's what anybody in here is saying. So this morning I just challenge you, believer. Where are you in sharing the gospel? Who are you sharing it with? Who are you praying for? Who are you intentionally, intentionally taking steps to present them the gospel? This morning, it's just, we're going we're gonna, I'm, I'm to, we're not even going to stand. Here's what I want to do, Aaron. I want you to play, just play. You want to sing, whatever you want to do. But we're not going to stand this morning. I want you to sit where you're at. I want you to just have some time and talk to God. I want you to talk to God and let Him speak to your heart in this issue and tell you what you need to do. And you respond to Him. And the altar's open if you want to come and talk to him here at the altar. If you want to sit right there where you are, that's fine. This morning, if you don't know Christ, I, I beg, I plead with you, step out. Come down here. Let me take the scriptures again and just introduce you to Jesus this morning.